In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, welcome back for another episode of the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is episode 201. It is one after 200. I guess, I mean, 200 was a shit show, but I think 201 is going to be even worse. Maybe a pile (laughs) of shit in a shit show. But uh, (laughs) this is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined with my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardick. What up, man? What's up, bro? Where are you, dude? What are you doing? Uh, Undisclosed location, deep in the underground. Oh, Jesus. Who? What you got a cute guy sitting? Well, all right, I didn't mean to say that, but you got a guy sitting next to you. <laughs> Who, who's familiar your f- face, familiar, familiar voice? What up, dudes? Oh man, who's your friend next to you? This is Drew Walter, aka Boneyard. Oh jeez, this this ought to get good then. <laughs> so long story short, I came to saddle up Saturday, and I don't think I've left since because I've pretty much been living here ever since. <laughs> been hanging out over there. What's what's going on? Anything new? Living the dream, baby. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, let's do a little bit of house cleaning, dude, and then we can kind of rip right into it. What do you say? Let it rip potato chip. All right. First off, we got uh, we are presented by Huntworth Gear, huntworthgear.com. They are, you know, you get more for less, some of the best hunting gear on the market. Uh, Norrieser Game Calls, norrieserygamecalls.com. If you haven't gone over to norrieserygamecalls.com and got yourself a grunt tube for this upcoming deer season, you probably should. They're not going to last all that long. You'll, you will see them up in Huntstock. Um, you know, like the second weekend in August, we'll be up there. Uh, and Mark will Wait, be there. I got to stop you there because I got, apparently you can't get away with shit on a podcast because you got all these fact checkers out there. Uh oh. So Brad Jarvis uh, reached out to me today and asked me if I said the wrong dates last week on purpose. Of course I didn't. I'm just a retard. So it, it's August 11th, 12th, and 13th. Oh. Brad. Thanks, and Brad. Just so you know, I'm going to reach out to Pat Guyette. I'm going to try to get Brad on the main stage Sunday to do some midget wrestling. So it's in the works. <laughs> I don't think he can do midget wrestling. He's like 6'6, 299 pounds. So he's probably not so going to we'll do much. I'll just do like five midgets versus him and call it a day. <laughs> 
Didn't work. You know, it's Stay funny. I, I'm gonna. I'll tell a midget story real quick before we get back to what we were doing. But the 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 funniest thing about midget wrestling is that those guys literally travel around the world. Like there is like a cult of midgets that literally. You know, they live all over the world, and they'll have... Dude, there's a place by you, Pistol Pete's. They have actual midget wrestling competitions that are there. And these guys come from all over just to wrestle there. And the funny part is they probably make more money than all three of us combined. <laughs> dude, this is probably when they, truthful. When, I drive my Pistol Pete's every day on my way to work. I never I never even thought about ever going in my so, life. But my question is, when they win like the title, and they win the belt, is it like a wristwatch? I'm not really sure what it is, but it's 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 definitely out of control. Where anyway, yeah. All right. Anyways, all right. We're 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 off of that. So Brad, we're, we were gonna get you on the main stand at Hunchstock, uh, <laughs> wrestling midgets. Um. Also, Latitude Outdoors, latitudeoutdoors.com. If you guys haven't gone over and check out their new stuff, they got a ton of great stuff coming to the market. Um, doing some great things over there at latitudeoutdoors.com. Make sure to use the promo code Outdoor Drive. Um. I think it's Outdoor Drive. It's just Outdoor Drive. Yeah, because then you save 15%. Um, also, um, Bowhunters United, bowhuntersunited.com. If you guys have not signed up for Bowhunters United, you might want to go and do so. They are the advocates for the people in the bowhunting world. I mean, they advocate for us through Congress, through all of these new things coming up. They do action alerts, so on and so forth. And I think, I'm not mistaken, but if I can figure it out, I think that you get magazines from them because we can't, uh, a bunch of us got magazines and I think that they came from them, but don't quote me on that. I don't really know. But the link is below uh, for all those places. You guys can go and check them out. The links, you can just click on those and get to those things there. Um, and then uh, let's break it on over. Let's get uh, the news from your cruise with our buddy, Mr. Mike. All right, guys. Why don't we buckle up and see what's going on in the world of news with Mr. Mike Salter. Hey, everyone. We're going to start this one off with a bunch of legislative updates. Uh, first in New York, where a bill I previously reported on that would ban hunting contests has passed the Senate and has moved to the Assembly, the Assembly's Codes Committee. Um... You can still take action to voice your opposition to this bill directly through the National Deer Association's action alert on their website. Now to Maine, where H-1204A has been signed by the governor, which will align crossbow hunting laws with the uh, with those governing archery hunting and regulate that no discharge of a firearm, archery equipment, CO2-powered weapon, or other weapon within 300 feet of any picnic area designated Camping area, parking area, building, shelter, or boat launching site. Also in Maine, S-70. Uh, the Senate accepted the committee report on this bill, which eliminates provisions relating to uh, annual reports to the Joint Standing Committee of the Legislature having jurisdiction over inland fisheries and wildlife matters on deer and moose management. And also uh, Bill 50, uh, S-732A, which supports outdoor education by establishing the Outdoor School for All Students uh, program, which is currently in the House. Now to Michigan and S32, which is the in the House and would modify the penalty for failing to report a deer harvest or retain a deer harvest confirmation number. Uh, then in Nevada, S311, which would require the Board of Wildlife Commissioners to establish a program to allow a person to transfer his or her tag to hunt a big game mammal to certain persons and requires that a course of instruction in the responsibilities of hunters to be available online. This one is waiting uh, for the governor's signature currently. Then in New York, 
S3351, uh, which would allow, which would eliminate sporting license fees for honorably discharged disabled veterans, and is currently in the Senate Committee on Rules. And also in New York, uh, S5802 has passed the Senate and is in the Assembly, which would allow for the hunting of deer by individuals 16 older with crossbows in a special archery season. Uh, also in New York, 5542 is pending in the Assembly, which prohibits deer and bear traps, and that no salt licks shall be made, set, or used upon land uh, inhabited by deer or bear, except when a certified nuisance wildlife specialist provides that such activities are uh, in furtherance of site-specific deer management plan. Now, New Hampshire, where S-14 is pending concurrence in the Senate, which adds a definition of game camera and permits the use of game cameras to take or attempt to take uh, a game animal or fur-bearing animal in the state. Now to Virginia, where as of July 1st, it is now illegal to feed or attract deer in Augusta County. This is due to a positive CWD test within 50 miles of the county line. Food plots do remain legal for use in that county. Now to Oklahoma, where a second white-tailed deer has tested positive for CWD about 15 miles east of Woodward. A couple weeks ago was the first one in the state. Now here's the second one. Uh, the state is still monitoring and will provide hunters with additional information if necessary as the seasons approach. Now to Montana, where the FWP and DNRC uh, worked with the legislature to simplify licensing requirements on state lands. The agencies have consolidated the conservation license and the state lands recreational use license into one annual conservation license, supporting the maintenance of places uh, like fishing access sites and WMAs. So as of July 1st, uh, those accessing state lands will be required to have a conservation license. And those hunters, trappers, and anglers who have already purchased licenses and tags for this year already have it. So no worries there. Uh, special recreation use license is still required for trapping, outfitting, and special events on state land trust on state trust lands. And Montana state parks uh, do not require this conservation license. Lastly, an opportunity for anglers in Vermont. The state will be holding several fish with warden events. The event is designed for those with prior fishing experience, but any experience is welcome. Uh, and you will need to bring your own equipment and have a license. Pre-registration is required uh, on the Fish and Wildlife Department's website. The events will be held from 6 to 8 p.m. The first one is today at Knights Point State Park in North Hero. Then July 20th at Shaftsburg State Park in Shaftsbury. Uh, August 3rd at Riker Mills State Forest in, in Groton. And August 17th at Little River Dam in Waterbury. Also, don't forget to click on the Outdoor Drives affiliate link in the episode description to sign up for Bowhunters United today to protect and expand your bow hunting rights. So as always, if you have any information to send along to me, it'd be greatly appreciated. Reach out to me at Mike Salter on Facebook or Bearded underscore Bowhunter21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Bowhunters United. You guys, make sure to sign up in the link below. All right, guys. Now we can get on to the the show of what, what is going to happen here because, you know. We got, we got we <laughs> can we not can we not please can we not <laughs> drew do you see what he's trying to do there bro <laughs> yeah yeah he's trying to poke he's poking, man. <laughs> he's poking. he knows he knows it <laughs> some of you may or may not understand that so hey for everybody that's been living under a rock drew why don't you introduce yourself man why don't you tell everybody who you are where you're from and a little bit about what you do my friend What's up, guys? I'm uh, Drew Walter, owner, operator, Wild Edge Incorporated, right out of uh, East Haddam, Connecticut. Uh, mobile mobile climbing equipment, everything you need to hunt, climb a tree. 
So, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. You can find us anywhere on social media, Wild Dead Jink. And, yeah, if you've known these boys, we go way back. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> boneyard we call him the old boneyard man i you know one of the reasons and one of the things that we kind of wanted to have you on the podcast was to just kind of talk because i mean you're like an absolute killer and the things that you do in your life and like just revolve around you know i think of you as like a legend of the deer woods because like you've you've taken more whitetails than most human beings have and i know that you stay humble when it comes to that but like you did it professionally for a very long time um, and I mean, I'd love to hear some really cool stories or whatever you have to, you know, offer. You want to tell a little bit of background kind of a, of that? We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I actually, it's kind of cool. Just recently, well, I just to be straight up honest, I got sober over a year ago. So like in that time, like the first year of sobriety, it was like the hardest year of my life. But, um, the cool part was like actually being able to slow down, break life down, um, you know, simplify life, really focus on the important things, obviously my family, but really realizing um, all the shit that I actually did, you know, and the cool stuff you've done in life, you know, I'm 33, but I feel like I've been around a lot longer, but uh, I was very fortunate to basically be raised by, he was like a father to me, the owner of White Buffalo Incorporated. And uh, I was, um, I was a suburban deer. We specialize in suburban deer management and uh, basically, I was a sharpshooter for them. So we were contracted all over the country, mainly stateside. And, you know, to get the gist of it, we would be hired to go into like a suburb of a city or in city limits where you can't discharge a firearm. There is no hunting. Um, so we would go in and euthanize, you know, take, for example, uh, you know, town and country Missouri, suburb of St. Louis. You know, we'd go in and, you know, two, three weeks, we killed you know, three to four hundred deer. Um, all donated soup kitchens, hunters for the hungry, all the meat was. Um, so it was really cool. You know, my job was I was killing deer for a living. And that brought me to got to do some cool island projects, eradication projects in uh, Santa Rosa, Catalina Islands, off the coast of California. I lived in Guam for a couple months doing Philippine deer and pigs. Monkeys. Yep. Did some monkeys, messed around with some horses. <laughs> we did some really cool shit. It was a fucking blast. It was literally the dream job for any kid, any guy like us. But the only bitch was basically lived in a hotel, you know, around the world with a couple old dudes, older dudes, you know, so it was hard to have the family life that I wanted. So I, you know, for example, I got married and basically said bye to my wife and, I was just hop, skip, jumping all around the world for eight months. So um, kind of big, big circle. What brought me back here was Wild Edge. Basically, you know, what kind of living can I establish to stay around and have the farm life, family life? I'm blessed right now. I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old and another little one on the way. So congrats, life, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Five-year-old going on 35. Yeah. <laughs> just the typical just boys man they're they're wild it's gonna be paid back so <laughs> anything you guys want to know about the past i mean i can dive into some shit it was just it was a the coolest shit in the world the, the craziest part was just separating yourself from hunting and work so when i went and killed deer i was i was not hunting there was nothing to do with hunting we were you know professional sharpshooting every deer was shot in the head um euthanized right away but then we got into some cool projects doing uh in or in the city limits doing 
um, basically sterilization project. So sterilizing the does, doing overectomies. So we had a mobile vet station, basically I'm running around neighborhoods, tranquilizing deer. It was a fucking blast putting the deer in a stretcher, bringing them back to a mobile vet station, doing surgeries. And, you know, that brought us to Staten Island doing the, um, basically neutering all the bucks. wildlife now there's a lot of negative that comes along with that because like you you hear and you you talk to a lot of people you know i mean i do all the time and they'll be like oh they had these sharpshooters come in or whatever the case may be but i think that a lot of people don't understand the pluses and minuses to it and there's no like hatred towards hunters right but like the thing is if you had every tom dick and harry running around these urban areas a lot of things could go wrong that's why they hire professionals to do such a thing because then it's put into a negative light for the hunters where the sharpshooters can go in there and eradicate these animals improper properly and not have to worry about the bad things that potentially could happen as hunters like if you had an archery hunter go into there then you have dead deer i mean they tried this down in greenwich you know zones 11 and 12 here where and they had a tv show about it chasing tails and they would like literally shoot deer and they would go in people's pools and this that and the other thing so there is a lot of negative that comes along with with what what you did um but there's a reason why they why cities do such a thing well, it's and it's so simple. And we've done the studies. I've trained numerous hunters. I've trained cops. I've trained a ton of people through the company. And I'll just put it this way. Hunters cannot do it. 100%. They cannot lower a population. I don't care what the environment is. They can't stabilize or lower a population. Um, if you could handpick out of a million hunters the correct amount of superstars, then, yeah, it could be done in the right training situation. But, the, I mean... The fact is the mortality rate for the average hunters that are trained and doing this stuff is 75%. So 75% of the animals shot or mortally wounded, but not recovered. So it's, it's sickening. And, but as simple as break it down to this as a hunter, if you say, okay, all you bow hunters, let's let you loose in the city. Just go hammer out these deer. All right. Let them in. Well, okay. So you, if they can use bait, they can do whatever they want. As simple as baiting. They dump a pile of corn, 20 deer come into that, bait pile they put one arrow through one deer the deer all once that one deer gets hit with the arrow they all run right mm-hmm. so then you just educated 19 deer if you recover that one deer our mentality was if 10 deer come in zero deer leave <laughs> so that's shooting them in the head when you shoot a deer so you you shoot down up down the age structure so those are priority oldest lack of better terms the cuntiest doe the bitchiest doe that's acting the cuntiest, I mean, she goes first. So you start, then you start working down. So the second you shoot an animal in the head, they drop to the ground and you have that couple seconds of pure confusion. They heard a loud bop, bang, pop. It's a suppressed 223, little 40 grain frangible bullet enters the head. They drop. Um, so say it's a doe with two fawns. You shoot the doe first, the two fawns will literally stop. They may bound back a couple of feet, stop. Look, mom, what are you doing? Why aren't you running, mom? What's going on? Boom, you shoot the fawns. Um, so it's as simple as that. Uh, so you if you could train hunters to be shooting deer in the head at night with tack lights over bait, you know, it, it is possible, but the average hunter, no, it's just not going to work. So yeah, we, we fought, you know, it wasn't the antis that were our biggest threat. It was the hunters, like the hunter harassment. Cause they, you know, the places that we did shoot where you could also hunt, obviously we were looked at like bad guys. Cause everyone that hunts wants to go in the woods and see 25 deer every time they hunt, no matter where they hunt. Right. In a stable population, that's just not going to happen. 
So, so. and one of the things that I kind of, you know, in talking to you would know, but like the thing is that you weren't technically hunting, you were working like, and to break that down, like, like trophy deer that were shot in these urban areas. And that's probably why you have a lot of problems with those urban guy or those hunters in those urban areas, because there is giant whitetails in those areas. Um, oh God. but those antlers are destroyed. They're not even, yeah. you can't do anything with them. Oh, and as a hunter, it was sad because, I mean, any shed you found got, you know, turned in. Every ant, every antler deer that went to the butcher, the state butcher, they were all basically put through a chipper. So it was kind of depressing, but that was so they couldn't be treated as a trophy animal. You know, some were, some were donated to schools and colleges and research places and all that. But, yeah, it was because, we, we, yeah, we were working. I mean, and you have to put yourself in a such a mentality. You have to train your brain. I can't get excited when I'm head shooting a deer from 30 feet in the air with a high powered rifle in the backyard of a $5 million house surrounded by houses and people watching me. So it's just high pressure professional work that, you know, basically we pretended like we were poachers and everything we did was illegal. That was the motto. So you never got caught. Even if everything you did was hundred percent legal and clean, you don't want to bring attention to it. We didn't wear camo um, until I fought that to the teeth because Carhartts are just not that flexible and not that great in a tree. So I said, I'm going with the best of the best. So I suited myself up with Sitka head to toe because I literally lived in a tree and in the wintertime killing deer all day long. And you're, you're so the, you know, you have a group of deer come in, say six deer come in, you shoot them all. You immediately get down from your tree, grab your black, your bet, your head bags and zip ties and your deer drag run out, put a head bag on them because their brains are now missing call it canoe top just blew the top of their head off so the frangible bullet enters and the whole point is it doesn't exit for safety reasons so it goes in so frangible just explodes so you get that pop um so you put a head bag on so all that shit doesn't get all over the beautiful manicured yard like i'm talking picture the most suburban neighborhood you can ever imagine and then take a quarter acre backyard put me 30 feet in a tree and that's where i'm killing deer wow um so you know, you run down, grab the deer, and you get them off that bait as quick as you can. So you're running, hustling, sweating. You hide them behind your tree so other deer don't get alarmed. You're on the ground. You're wiping up blood, making sure your bait is good. And all these deer were baited. They've already been baited for months. Regiment, you know, all the the same exact amount of corn per ratio of deer, everything at the same time by the same person with the same truck with the same bucket of corn. Like, we train these deer. Um, so you get the deer off the bait as quick as you can, clean everything up, hop back up in the tree, wait for the next group. Uh, they usually come in waves. So it was, yeah. So that's the whole reason my point of getting into, I wanted that Merino wool. I wanted the synthetics. I wanted, you know, can't wear cotton and be, you know, working in 10 degree weather and running up and down a tree, dragging deer. And, you know, I'm talking like working in Minnesota, go grab a mm. mature doe, dude. It's like grabbing a 200 pound buck around here. It's nutty. Now you started talking about baiting and regimen and I, you know, it's always been fascinating to me because they being able to, you know, have con, you know, conversations with you about it. Like, can you kind of break down the regimen of what you were doing and how people can transpire for those that are bait hunters and to, to make people realize that bait hunting isn't that easy? Yeah. So, and I love baiting. I bait deer. Um, I've killed, but I think I've killed one mature buck over bait. Put it that way. Um, so here's what happens. And other I hate, than I, it, other than I, in the suburban, right. urban I'm talking area, yeah, right. When I, when I say I'm shooting deer, talking, I'm always talking recreational hunting, like we all do. Um, anytime I talk about killing deer, I'd say work. Um, so the problem is, like East Haddam, it became legal to bait here. All the southern 
shore zones, right? I'm zone 12, so 11, 12, you can bait. So what problem is now, and every, every, every parcel of private land that you can bait on is, you know, from two acres to 10 acres, you know, they're small pieces. Mm-hmm. The one that's the biggest pieces around here, there's like two land masses around here that are private that are 300 acres. Everything else is five to 20, right? So now you take a square mile and if every single private land dude is dumping a pile of corn, a 50 pound bag of corn the Friday before the opening day or whatever, the day before opening day, what's going to happen there? Or they're doing it a week before, two weeks before they're just dumping an entire 50 pound bag of corn. First of all, now these deer are educated to the corn. There's corn everywhere. So the first thing they do is they start hitting it at night because they're not, if you dump 50 pounds of corn, that's what we would call bulk baiting. So when we first enter a bait site, when we're working, we would bulk bait the deer. You dump 200 pounds of corn in a pile, hundred pounds of corn. They consume the corn. You're just telling the deer, hey, guys, the corn's here. So they go, oh, sweet. I know where there's corn. Then after two weeks, you drop it back. You portion it to pound and a half to two pounds per deer at the most. So you ration them. And then you start spreading out into little piles because you want them around you know, 20 yards from bait. Um, but the key is that's that portion of bait, whatever it is, per however many deer you have in the area, you put a camera out, put some bait out, and try to figure out how many deer you have. Um. So if you have 12 deer, maybe you put 18 to 20 pounds down. But the key is we would bait these bait sites. You know, we'd have our bait routes and they would get hit at the same time every single day. You don't skip a day. So that's professional work. So the deer know they hear that truck, they hear the bucket shaking, or they just know at three o'clock that's bait there. And then the other deer at the other site know at 430, bait's going to be there. So they have to rush to get there because it's portion. If they don't get there first, the bait will all be cleaned up. If you dump 50 pound bag of corn, they don't give a fuck when they get there. They get, they got all night to get there because deer can't eat 50 pounds in a couple hours. Mm-hmm. There's always food there. Bring it to the average hunter who just runs in the woods and dumps a bag of corn, puts a camera on it with a ladder stand next to it. You have a trio of just absolute obviousness of a hunter hunting there. The deer get educated on the corn. A couple of deer come in, they keep get, seeing their family members get shot off the corn, wounded off the corn. So now corn is just bad juju. So now, the way when I say I bait and I hunt over corn, I use that bait in the in the perfect part of that property, usually on a stump that's rotten that I've been soaking in salt, solar salt for years. Throw some corn on it. I get inventory throughout the summer. A deer know where it is. Um, it just becomes like it becomes a community scrape of the property, right? It's your center hub, wherever that is. So where you put that bait is very, very important. How you access, how you get out of there. Um, I don't know where the hell I was going Brilliant with that. winds probably too. I mean, yeah, there's so much. But I was saying, I use that bait. Even if I bait during the season, I'm hunting around it. I'm using that bait as I know there's going to be does and young bucks there. I know mature bucks are going to be circling downwind. I know they're going to enter it from here if they come. So you kind of use it to figure out how to hunt the deer. And I'm also, I know there's a bait pile at the spot over there. Or if I'm hunting this public. I know there's 40 fucking bait piles along the whole property line of every private property line. Um, so you, you have to find those bait piles so that you know how to hunt that property. So it basically turns into how to hunt around bait piles around here. And it just gets obnoxious because nobody knows how to do it right. So all you're doing is educating deer. And, and that's one of the things, the biggest thing before I forget, sorry, but you're changing the, the normal travel patterns Mm. of these deer. You're totally messing it up. I mean, what we're hunting around here is 90% browse. So then you put a pile of gold nuggets in the middle of that property now, instead of doing a normal browse pattern or out to that hay field or wherever to Mrs. Smith's clovers, 
they're going to hit that bait and then they're going to go and they're going to, you know, stick around that. And it just messes everything up. Mm -hmm. Just the natural movement. And behavior. It can change betting. And the deer gets so smart and they figure cameras out like you wouldn't believe. So that's kind of one of the things Steve just hit on the point is betting. Like a lot of the times then they're going to bed near that bait pile because they know that it's right there. So then your access point is hard. And we'll think about it this way. What does every guy, Steve and I were just talking about this the other night. What does every guy do the second they get a picture of a big buck on that camera? They run in there and they start trimming shooting lanes, putting up a stand, putting out salt licks, putting out whatever feed they legally can, trying to keep like that buck's going to stay on that one trail that he just walked by every night because, you know, that's typical hunter. Right. So so then add, he wants to bait that spot. So now he's going to go in there as often as he can because around here you dump a 50-pound bag of corn, dude, it could get cleaned up in a day, day and a half. Mm-hmm. Turkeys come in, you're screwed. So then they're going to go in there every other day, every couple of days. I mean, you go to the Shag Bark local feed store on a Friday or Saturday, dude, they got a pallets of corn out front because nobody wants to walk to the back. They sell so much freaking corn. Really? Like it's, it's obnoxious, dude. And what's corn now? 18 bucks a bag. When I was a kid, it was like four. Four ninety nine. We used to pay for a bag of corn. Yeah. yeah. It's almost 18, 19 bucks. So, well, so let me ask you this. So <clears throat> if you're going to go in and out, do you think, can't that help? Like, I'm trying to wrap my head around it because I'm not in a bait zone. I would think if I could go in, say, every day and drop a small bucket of corn and then leave and then go in and drop a small bucket of corn and then leave, then every day I'm going yep. in, dropping a bucket of corn, and then one day I go in, drop a bucket of corn and get my tree. Mm-hmm. Am I conditioning the deer that they know I'm coming, that they get used to my ground sand? You're training them that you're not a threat. Threat, right. So that's the biggest key. And that's what I do, whether I'm baiting or not. When I go into a property and it's not season, I'm acting like just an obnoxious true walk through the woods. I don't I don't give a shit about scent. I'm, I got my dog with me 100% yeah. of the time. I'm just acting like a normal person because deer around here in, I wouldn't say we're suburban. We're not suburban here, but we're definitely not in the middle of nowhere compared to parts of the country. But deer, they know a threat. They know there's a person who's a threat and that's a non-threat, right? Mm. So if you walk, it's sneaking through the woods, scouting and just sneaking like a little ninja, they're going to pick up on that. Like, what's this creep doing? So when you're baiting, yeah, you always have to get in the mentality. You have to do it. If it's every other day, it's got to be the same time. Right. So what about the exit? So you, you come in obnoxious, the hardest whistling part. or whatever, making noise, and then you leave. I mean, are you can you condition the deer to sit there and they pretty much walk, watch and listen to you come in and they watch and listen to you leave and then they know, okay, he's gone and then they come out and eat. Yeah. That's so a, now when you go into be, hunt, yeah. they hear you come in and they don't hear you leave. Well, that's the tricky part. So what we used to do in work, and I've done this in hunting scenarios, is you have a buddy with you. You and go they, together. One one girl crawls up the tree. One, one starts yeah, monkeying around at the base. You all good, bro? Yep, I'm good. Yeah. You, you I, you're virtually bait hunting. I mean, bear yeah. bait hunting for right, deer. That's, a, exactly. that's virtually yep. what you're doing. Exactly. But, like, when I was a kid, dude, you could bait and you could just – you could suck so many deer in because all the older generation, my dad's generation, looked at us young kids baiting like we were doing something wrong. You know, and they'd push our buttons. You guys are cheating, blah, blah, Well, fast forward 5, 10, 15 years later, guess who's at the feed store getting corn? Those same guys because they realized. But when I was a kid and there weren't, when everybody wasn't baiting, good God, does it work? Yeah. But once everybody starts baiting, it's mm. a whole, you're, yeah, it's a whole different world. It, of- it's, it's almost a sense where, like, even if you don't want to bait, 
you you have to because you're gonna lose your even your bucks even if you can't kill a buck on a bait pile you're gonna lose all your does to the neighbors yeah and if, when you lose your does you're gonna lose your bucks so you yep. you basically have to keep corn there just to keep deer on you right keep them interested but but then you're not but the problem is then your neighbor has 150 pounds of bait out there so they're getting rid of the competition where you're trying to instill competition and so once so they'll come in and hit your pile first because they know that it's going to disappear but then they're going to go to that pile after right i mean like it's exactly the way i look at public land i look at the public land piece i go where in the hell is the worst helliest spot on this spot that no in this piece that nobody's gonna go. I want the hellish, nastiest, thickest, most disgusting spot that no or the hardest spot to get to. Same thing with baiting. So I know all those deer are gonna go to the neighbors. That's why I said you gotta scout and find those because then you're gonna hunt the deer going to that or hanging living around that. So if there's a property right next door to me, I, I won't even bait mine because what's the point? You're just wasting money. So now you so just hunt his and save the save the pennies. That, yeah. Because he, he's not going to kill that much. It's a freak accident if he's going to kill well, a mature buck with his head in a feeder at three in the afternoon around here. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, what just came to my happens, head but. is like when I think take bait out of it, everybody's got a hard on for food plots. Everyone wants to put a food plot on their mm-hmm. property. Right. And I'm a big bedding guy. So if the neighbor wants to have food plots, that's OK, because that buck is going to spend more time in my bedding in the daylight than he is in his food plot in the daylight. Right. So you can feed him and he can spend all night in your food plot and you can all the trail cameras. He's going to be back on me, back in my bedding when the sun's up and it's legal shooting light. Yeah. So it's basically the, the same thing with, with the, the neighbor's corn pile. The shittiest part is what it did to uh, our buck to doe ratio. So what are the what are this, what are the first deer that are going to come to a bait site? A doe. Well, small before, even before that, you're going to have a little spike dick. And his brother Spike, and his brother Four Point, and his brother Six, mm. and then you're gonna have Buttonhead, and then you're gonna have the does. So you have these the little community of younger deer, and you right. watch a pile, you watch those does. Like everyone puts the camera on the bait. Ah, deer ain't coming here till half hour after dark. Yeah, bullshit. For an hour, they're back behind bait, circling it, watching it, just like a bear, dude. Mm. But the problem with it was back when it became legal. I don't know what year it was. I think it was 2012 around here. Don't quote me on that. I don't know when it was, but you know, little fact checkers out there get you. Yeah. When the it's second they made it legal, <laughs> it just made it so appealing. Okay. So now you have Bob and Joe who are hunting buddies and they live up in Northern Connecticut. They're like, Hey Bob, guess what? We can just go buy a bag of corn down in land zone 12, knock on a door and dump it in Lay's backyard and just hammer on some does or some deer. All right, let's do it, Joe. And they go and they do. So that it just it made it so popular hunt down here because you can bait. So it just made it more appealing. We had a flood of hunters. When I was a kid running around here, I could put a camera out with apples or we used to have a Ziploc bags of corn. And, dude, you could have we would have four to five deer in the four to five eight year age class. You'd have that unicorn of the six to seven year old buck who just randomly shows up. And then you have a bunch of little shit bags, your spikes, your four points, your sixes, your does. Now. Do the same exact thing on the same properties. You're lucky to get one three and a half year old buck. Everything's does. Because all the younger age structure, the deer got wiped out. All the spikes, mm. all those four points, mm-hmm. all the deer. So now all those one, twos, and threes that were growing up to be those <laughs> fours and fives in these bachelor groups of nice, solid Connecticut trophies, it's all, they're not there. Huh, so that's we, funny. You brought up a, a serious point. I never even thought right. of it like that. You all watch that. I'm talking, and this isn't just me. This is the way I grew up was 
I, you got, I have permission on this property and that property. And I share it with four to five buddies. And then he, my, our other buddy got this property. And that property. We, we're closing in and then it's backed up to this state land, or we got this state land with, and we would always try to find private land access to get into that state. Land. So we'd have these giant chunks that we're all sharing. I'm talking 10 to 15 buddies sharing camera data. We're all seeing this. So it's not like, it's just mm. my cameras, like the aid, the ones and twos and three-year-olds, fuck, they, they barely have a chance because they're the first ones on bait. Was the time frame the same? I don't pay attention to this because I'm not really in zone 11 or 12. The time frame of baiting, was it the same time they did the replacement tags and the earn a buck tag too? Because that's a whole nother oh, yeah. problem there because... Well, that's added. Not, yeah. So in, right. when so they had opened like, the baiting, they had also done replacement tags and earn a buck tags yeah. the same exact so time. So now, it, now it's not like a guy can go to this bait zone two buck tags with the bow, another buck tag with the rifle, and he's done with bucks. I no. mean, he can shoot three can more, go. three does and get another buck tag, three more does, get another buck well, tag. Well, here's the fucked up part about our January season where you can still bait on private land. You can bait private land here September 15th to January 31st. So you have your two either sex tags for your archer season, two antlerless. And then just like you were saying, you can keep replacing those. So you shoot your two bucks, all right, then you shoot your two does, you can shoot another three does, bring the head in, get another earn a buck tag, shoot another three does. So you have unlimited buck tags, right? And that, well, then you got guys sharing heads. That's the other problem. Cause when you check them in, sometimes they take the head. Sometimes they don't got guys cutting off other does heads, bring them in. Go to road kills. Snip a ear. But then the problem is then in January, you're allowed to use. So if it's January, 2024, you're allowed to use your, you get two, you get an antler list and an either sex tag for January. Right. And then you're allowed to use your fall tags too. You can oh. use all, the, and then you can keep doing the earn a buck thing. So it, it's basically unlimited. You can kill unlimited bucks as long as you keep hammering does. And they just want you to get rid of them. Yeah, I but mean, the, the but the deer, the deer is not what it used to be. The population is not half of what it used to be. No, I don't think the population was touched. I think just the age class of deer that were targeted mm. were messed with. Because, well, that goes back to the 75% that you were talking about before. Right. Yep, mortality rate. So it makes it a lot harder. I just think it's kind of crazy because, like, you know, when you drive around nowadays, you know, I remember the days of driving around and there was a hundred fields that you would go by in a night and they would all have 10, 15 deer in it. And then those days are just not, they're not existing anymore. And I don't know if it's a population control thing or it's a population like in invade where they have houses in these areas now or whatever. And they're pushing those deers back into deeper woods and we're just not seeing them as much. No, I, I think it has a lot to do with the amount of hunters and society and technology. Yeah. I mean, think of it when we were a kid, dude, we literally had to, I, I, I rode my fucking bicycle everywhere I could to hunt with my bow strapped mm -hmm. to the back. We bummed rides everywhere until we could afford our first truck. And then we were just, we had to go and go and go. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything electronic. Literally go in the woods and just figure it out. We had to knock on doors. We, my buddy, when high school, we drove to our cabin in Pennsylvania by ourselves. You know, we were 16, 17 years old. We just, you know, think of it now. Hey, man, open up your maps on your phone. Yeah. Yep, you should start here. I hunted there last year. Yep. And then you're going to go here, check out this spot, hunt here. And then boom, that like technology, cell cams with your maps, your computer. I mean, think about it, dude. When we're working yeah. on trucks, you're like, oh, man, I don't, I'm not sure how to do this. Okay, let's go inside, start up the computer, log on, get on YouTube. You're talking an hour. Remember it and then run back outside to the garage and fix it. Right. Like, 
just such a difference. And that's what I think. It's just no, you're so much easier to access and know where you're going. And you know, how many times did we go up to like a stadium piece? We're like, oh, I don't know. Is this, did you see a sign? Did you see a sign? When then we had to go back to the town hall and pull up records on a paper map. Dude, nobody knows how to read a paper map. No, and it's and it's funny is you know me and Steve talk about this all the time and how readily available these resources are, and you know like if you took and we say this and it's probably pretty redundant but like if you took away cell cameras or cameras in general like Delaware just banned or is in the process of banning cameras, and mm-hmm. one of the things is like if you took those away. I think that 65 to 75% of the people that are in the woods today could not kill an eighth of the amount of deer that they, they've they killed in past seasons if you took away the electronics that they were able to use. Where in, in meaning is that they don't have the woodsmanship that, that some right. of us had been raised around and had and learned from or the resources that we did. Talking about with, uh, I, I joke all the time, you go on YouTube and it's like, and I talk to customers all day, every day, email, social media, phone, you name it. The only thing people are concerned about and want to talk about and teach is climbing a tree. <laughs> Nobody is on there talking about hunting, how to hunt, right. like woodsmanship. Trevor, that's how we grew up, Steve. We all yeah. had because we learned. We just how, how did we learn? We just spent as many hours in, the, in those woods as we possibly could, and we didn't just learn how to understand deer. We under we learned to understand the ecosystem that the deer live in that we're intruding in. So it's like when we went hunting when we were kids, we didn't say, "All right, Joe, hey bro, you want to go squirrel hunting or crow?" No, we just went. We took a twenty-two or shotgun. We went animal hunting. And and the, the, this is the thing too. And and it and it's funny. And you know how fucked up the industry actually is is that Mm. there is a lot of people that regurgitate a lot of information that (laughs) they don't even they literally regurgitate what what they've learned on podcasts or youtubes or so on and so forth and they're out there selling products but in all reality if they were to whip out their you know their album of all the stuff that they've done whether it was hunting fishing trapping whatever the case may be it's literally nothing. They've killed right. a handful of animals. They've caught a handful of fish. And now they're out there regurgitating information that they've heard somewhere. And they're really not even sportsmen or woodsmen. Like, and it's, it's sad. Yep. <laughs> Me and Drew have spent some time around the campfire the last week contemplating mm-hmm. the universe. And that's basically where this podcast comes from. But like, I mean, it's anybody that knows Drew and listen to the beginning of this podcast. He's a fucking killer, right? right? He's killed more fucking deer than fucking God, right? There are so many fucking people out there. Like you said, they're professional tree climbers and they want to teach you how to use the saddle and how to use sticks and how to get up a tree. That's all you know how to fucking do is get up a tree. You're not killing anything. But the biggest you're, thing you're is you're an arborist. They know. Yeah. They may be an expert on climbing that tree, but do they have the experience of how that gear makes sense and correlates to no. actually killing deer? No. Or having a successful end goal of killing something. Like they they all these guys, this is the best gear, the best, best, best. Well, why? This or what have you done with that gear exactly. besides climb this, trees? This is, this is how I do it. Well, what's your fucking result? You you can get up the tree. Then what do you do once you get up? So there? so you know this I mean? is this is funny. And and I know you know this is it's a not fo- funny. You know, at all. Well, this is it's this terrible. is terrible. It's crazy because <laughs> 
I, I know, and and it's and it's nuts to talk about, but like in all reality, there is a ton of companies, and one of them being the guys that we work with, that literally the proof is in the pudding. Where right. they have a team like on a, like you know latitude, those guys are killers also, and they sell Dude. products and they have the people that are backing them and kill deer and you know just like Drew. But there's and I'm not talking about any of you guys or them. I'm talking about no. the people that do not have the backing that they have. The sad part to me, the saddest part is that it's a celebrity endorsed bullshit. So you take, for instance, and I'm not talking down trophy line. There's, I, I love those guys. I'm very good friends. A lot of them, owner Sean, like they're all cool dudes. We work to, they help me and I help that. Like we work together right. as competitors, right? Just like Matt from LM. But the second they signed on Levi Morgan, game over. Right. I right. mean, you have Tether that has sucked up every single celebrity. You have their pay. They were paying girls that have YouTube channels six to seven, eight thousand dollars a year just to wear their stuff. It's like me, I, I've never ever once in my life paid anybody to use my products. Not one. But so, the second you have to be by Morgan step up there, the sad part is what's every kid like us when we we're growing up gonna look up to and go, well Levi Morgan says Matthews and Trophy Line's the best. So it has to be Levi Morgan's such a good target yeah. shooter and such a good hunter that if he's using it, it has to be the best. Just like when Duck Dynasty shot Benelli their whole lives because it's the best gun that right ever been created on this planet right as a shotgun okay so now what they switch to mossberg mossberg is our first gun because it was the cheapest 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 gun hey, you could ever easy. get i'm still using a mossberg i love mossberg you know but, what i mean the second but, you get that celebrity endorsing that product now drew gets pushed to the bottom i am i know i'm a better hunter and a better killer than all of them better woodsman than all of them combined but they're going to stick out because they hired that celebrity. So instead of me putting $500,000 into my business and building this beautiful shop, if I had bought Levi Morgan, where would I be today? Right. Well, that's, that's well, the other ridiculous part, and I know that this is crazy, but like the, the, a lot of these companies, and one of the things that me and Steve talk about is there's a lot of people out there that literally are just looking for a handout. Like sure. there's there was somebody recently that literally went online and said <laughs> – if they literally went online and said any company that wants to send me a product can send me a product and I'll do a review and I promise not to give you a bad review on it. So you really I get those emails every day. But really? Like I don't every understand. Day it. Somebody has a YouTube channel that they want your gear, but they want it for free, which I get it. If they bought all the gear, it'd be expensive. But uh, no, I I don't I don't give you any want gear somebody away. to use your gear because they believe in it and they like it and they want to use it. Right. But let me jump in here real quick before we get too far away from my thought. I don't see the, a huge problem with the celebrity endorsement as much. I mean, I listen, I'll tell you God's honest truth. Growing up, huge Michael Waddell fan. Huge. All I wanted to wear was real tree camo. Mm -hmm. I don't give me mossy oak. I ain't wearing it. I'm wearing real tree camo. I was like Michael Waddell. But the point is, Michael Waddell has a lot of fucking deer. So it's, Obviously, it works one way or the other, and you can say that about any gear, like like Levi Morgan. Like if Levi Morgan is going to kill a deer, no matter what saddle he's in. Right. But the point is, the saddle he's in obviously works if he's using it, right? the The problem that I see are these nobodies on social media. You're on a Facebook group, and somebody asks about a product that they want to use. And you see these piss and match and these arguments about these guys saying, "Oh, I only use this." saddle or these sticks and da 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 and then you stalk the person out right you click on their page 
you got to scroll back to 2018 to see a picture of him with anything fucking dead, right? The, the guy's mobile hunting seven Saturdays a year. You know, meanwhile, you got guys that are hanging and banging 20 days in a row and they're getting in pissing matches or, or, or getting, you know, talked down on by guys that aren't even really using the product. They're not really killing shit, but they've got the strongest opinion on what's best and trying to tell everybody else what they should use. And they don't even have the experience or the 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 success to be giving that kind of advice. So that's it. That's just social media in a whole. Right. Right. Like who is what the information that you're reading, it's up to you to do the actual research. Right. And to go other places and figure out what you're, if what you're reading is true. Right. right. But I, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And it's. Yeah, it's sad. But that's the way the industry, it's a, it's a business, right? Like I can remember back before saddle hunting was even a thing back in the day, it was sued saddlehunterforum.com and everybody was on there sharing information. Where do you get this? How do you do this? How do you tie that knot? Get this rope. How do you do all this stuff? And it was cool as hell. But the second it turned into this huge marketing Mm. business, actual industry, then it turned into, you know, Mm. us real guys only these companies were still on there and then the second it turned into this pissing match of whose gear is better than what and that's all they talked about all the Steve and I was talking about this all the actual guys that own the companies like me we stepped back because we couldn't stand the pissing bullshit the whiny immature stuff on social media it was like nobody was actually asking valid questions it was just what's the best well is Ford better than Chevy right it's the no. same thing it's it's your same personal time. preference and and that's exactly. And that's what that's what a YouTube review is. It's showing what it does from A to Z, from from the box to the end result. What does it do? And you're not really giving an opinion. You're just reviewing what it does, right? And that's and that's the importance of it. When you had forums, like you just said, and you know, I owned a forum or was part owner of a forum. And one of the things is that forums were more in-depth questions where mm. and to break down what it was and there was never belittling of one another and that right. you know what i'm saying and with social media when you have social media like facebook instagram instagram's not as bad but facebook when you get into some of these groups and stuff is that these people are you know it's not a hundred guys that are talking back and forth on a forum it's hundreds of thousands of people that are looking and seeing this and everybody wants to be a big shot and everybody, everybody wants to give their opinion, which is fine. And I understand that. But one of the problems with social media is this hunting and fishing or outdoors. There is no checks and balances. We were all sports guys. Steve was a quarterback. Drew, you played football and stuff like that, right? Like your sports teams no. and stuff. We were running some 40-yard dashes the I other played, night at midnight, though. I played soccer halfway through freshman year, and I said, F this, I'm going to work on the farm and hunt. Okay, so with that, you... You're still pretty quick. Bro. Yeah, <laughs> but, you, but you understand, and we all understand what a team is. There's checks and balances. It, 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 there's always somebody on your team that's better than you, right? Where, where the captain, you know, you know, 
oversees the team and tells them, all right, you know, and he's the best player, right? And you're always looking up to somebody to be the best person. Well, with hunting, fishing, and trapping, it's a sport against yourself. So you think that you're the fucking man because you shot a deer or caught a big fish or whatever the case may be, and you're the best in your own team, right? Well, when they get on social media, now the only person to check and balance them are the people on social media. So they can say or do whatever they want and have the opinion that they want because there's nobody there to tell them different other than on fucking social media. You know what I'm saying? So it's a team against your... The outdoors is, is... It's against yourself. And there's no checks and balances of a team. You know what I'm saying? If that makes any sense. I know it's a rambling well, aspect of it, but well, like. I, I can add to that. It's kind of like, say you're like the best hunter in your town, right? That's like being the superstar on your local football team, right? right. You're, you're the star. You're the best hunter in your town. You're the superstar on the football team. Then you go to college. Well, guess what? Everybody on your team was a superstar where they came from. Now it's right. a college team full of superstars. You know what I mean? But I think the big thing is, is like, you have to stay humble enough to always try to find somebody that's better than you and, and have that, uh, you know, um, crave more knowledge and learn from more people. You know what I mean? Like me, me and Drew sitting around the campfire, like all we're doing is talking about this, talking about that. What do you think about this? Just picking each other's brains or like you touch on it a little bit, the stuff that Latitude's doing right now on YouTube. I don't know if you've caught it yet, Trev, but like I've watched each one of them like five times, just right. phenomenal scouting Intel, like all, you know, they do a hill country one. They've done a swamp one, dude. I'll, I'll watch a couple of them two or three times and pick up a new thing every single time that I watch it because I'm always trying. It doesn't matter how much I think I know or how good I think I am. I'm always trying to learn the next thing or pick up something that I can adapt or try this season. That's what my dad taught me my whole life. He said, surround yourself with people that are better and smarter than you. Right. And I think a lot of people don't want to do they don't want to be around someone better than them. they mm-hmm. want to feel like they're the best but right. you're only going to get better by putting yourself around well, people and everybody that are better than you and ev- anybody that i've taught how to hunt they get into hunting and the first thing they want to do is kill a big mature buck that's their mission you know i'm not saying everybody but most guys or say they've been hunting for a while and then they just seriously got into it and now it's an addiction they just want to kill that big buck well how do you learn how to kill that big buck you kill a lot of deer right how to yeah. deer hunt you gotta learn, how to, you kill learn deer. how to kill a buck yeah. yeah, you got to kill to learn how to kill deer. Yep. Well, but the- go, going back, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, no, going back what Drew said, like you know what his dad had taught him. My father had said something very similar to me. God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you can listen twice as much as you talk. Because yep. to to learn from other people, and the thing is that there's the everybody in. I know I keep going back to the social media thing, but in all reality, where I get pissed about it is, is this, is that it's, it's really a dick swinging competition where everybody shares their pictures. You're not, there's, it, it drives me nuts because they all seem to be better and they're not taking in information. They're trying to point out how good they are. Yeah. And they're right. and they're putting out bad information instead of sitting back and learning from the people that they should be learning from. And I'm not saying learn from us. I'm saying right. the right fucking people. Like instead of trying to say that you're better than everybody, just learn from everybody who surrounds yourself with. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of trying to, you know, and I get irritated. I swear, the best way and I just recently found this out. The best way, like Steve and I were talking about this. We're on such a 
you know, experience, high level, whatever you want to call it, our deer hunting, we take it so seriously and we've been doing it for so long that sometimes we get to a point where we overthink everything. <laughs> Too much. Everything. And we're just, Trevor would be like you and fishing. We were talking this deer hunt. And it's just like sometimes, so what I found, I just taught my buddy, he had gun hunted his whole life. And he finally said, I want to get, I want to learn how to deer hunt, like bow hunt. I mean, I want to bow hunt and I want to, but it's not going to be like my uncle where he would say, go sit in that stand this day and shoot whatever. He said, I want to learn everything about bow hunting and I want to do everything myself with, you know, with your help. So he had a big farm, went there, taught him. And the coolest part was, you know, in the beginning, it's all just normal, simple stuff. It's like teaching them this, this, that, but it's hard for me to go back to basics, you know, same thing when I'm teaching people how to climb a tree. I can climb up with nothing upside down and blindfolded, but not everybody can. So, you know, first year was basic. He did great, killed a couple of deer. Then the second year rolls around and now he's absorbed so much information. We'll be scouting or doing something. He'll say something that at first just sounds absolutely retarded. Mm-hmm. Like basic is super like, at first you want to say, just shut up. And then you start thinking about it. You're like, dude, actually you're right. I think you're right. That's a really, really good idea. <laughs> okay drew step back rewind settle down a little bit he just said something so basic that makes so much sense and let's do that not even so so much just, basic it's just simple you yeah, simplify it exactly not overcomplicated right well the thing is that we you know us as you know avid outdoorsmen and been doing this for you know 20 years i mean literally 20 years right i mean like we started at 12 whatever but we've been in it before then and literally like we are so set in our ways and believing what we think is 100% to the T what it's supposed to be. And these new guys come in and they have a different thought process because they're trying to be at that. So like, it was like us at 16 to 21 where we were just crazy stupid dumb kids running around in tree stands not knowing what we're doing and these guys are now mature guys (laughs) coming into it and have kind of half of a brain when they're doing those crazy stupid things and they come up with these crazy ideas dude i think about it all the time because when i was a kid and you know just started hunting on my you know my own tree stand you know not not sitting with dad anymore and and even the years before that when i'm on the opening day man i was gonna go sit in a buddy stand next to my dad and watch him shoot a deer the only thing we cared about the night before was the temperature in the morning because we needed to know if we had to wear one pair of socks or two pairs of socks because we didn't know how cold it was going to be. We never checked the fucking wind. I didn't know what fucking thermal was. It didn't matter. We knew what stand we were going. It was was the opening day stand. We were going to it no matter what the wind direction was. Uh We didn't know what the thermal was. It was just, oh, well, it's going to be 27 in the morning. You better bring some hand warmers and extra pair of socks. It's going to be cold. That's all that mattered. And now... I lay in bed at night checking every single app I have because one says the wind's doing this. The other one says this. The other one says I'm averaging out the winds between four different apps to try to figure out what I think it's really going to do. Then I have to predict my thermals based on that wind and wind speed and then the barometric pressure and then maybe some cell cell camera pictures (laughs) and historical data. And like it's like overanalyzing everything, trying to make an educated guess. And it's like, dude, it was only – I don't know, 50, I can't do math on my head. Less than 20 years ago, the only, I didn't care about any of that. I think my wife, every night she picks out her clothes for work the next day. She's a teacher. So during the fall, she any night she asks me, 
what's the weather going to be tomorrow, babe? And I'll tell her exactly what the weather's going to be, whether it's going to be high-pressure, low-pressure system. Ask me when it's off-season. I have no clue. No clue. No clue. And it, it's so funny that you guys say that and you bring it up in conversation because they, you know, like my dad and my brother, they still hunt the old school style where they have one property with three deer stands and they pick out those deer stands. And like, you know, I'll go and hunt with my dad or my brother once or twice a year and I'll go and I'll go hunt there and I'll sit in the old tree stand that I sat in and I shot my first deer out of and I've shot a, you know, a metric pile of deer out of and I'll sit in that fucking deer stand and it will bother me that the wind is going in the wrong direction and i'll and i'll be there and i'll be like this fucking sucks i'm not gonna see a fucking deer but if you rewind 10 years i was shooting deer out of that deer stand like it was my job like not even thinking or even knowing what thermals and winds (laughs) and scent and 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 you sit there and you're like are you fucking kidding me right now? I cannot believe I'm here. No, I, you know, but I would go because I wanted to hunt with my dad and my brother in the scenario of that we did, you know, revolving. And my dad would shoot a doe or whatever. And I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Why'd you shoot that doe? Like, the, the wind's all wrong. And he shot the stupid doe and it went down here. And like, now there's not going to be a buck coming. But like, in all reality, it, that just changed in the in it, the switch just changed not that long ago, and I get irritated for sitting in that deer stand. But, but so <laughs> sometimes I found like uh, my story with my teaching my buddy. Sometimes you just have to just stop giving any f's. Just just not care. I swear I've killed ninety percent of these deer on these walls by just getting so frustrated and saying fuck it and just going in, yeah. going as deep as I can, saying screw the wind, screw the thermals. I don't care. I'm going in there. I'm gonna get so close and I'm gonna kill them. And right. I did. I killed so many deer downwind. I've killed so many deer exactly where I thought they would never come from. I've killed deer just blowing into, well, not blowing I, in, but creeping in. I mean, but just saying, screw it. Instead of backing off that 50 yards, I go another 50. I think sometimes, I don't know about all these deer, but like definitely in the rut, you can oh, just God, yeah. forget the wind, forget the thermals. Ruts are, ruts going, bucks are stupid. You can just get away with murder. Yeah, November, I don't care. Where, right. Where, um, where early season's a little different, but going back to like what Trev was just saying, like it's, I don't know about the, Happy 4th of July, everybody, because I think this comes out, what, July 5th? Yeah. <clears throat> hopefully, hopefully everybody still has their fingers when they're listening to this. But um, so it's July 3rd, right? I can tell you right now the exact stand my old man will be sitting on opening day rifle season this November. My dad, September 15th, will be, will be in, in the that, same scene. He will be yeah. in that tree no matter what. Where I'm going to be opening day, I won't know until either the night night before, night before or maybe the morning of. Mm-hmm. Or how many times. But I bet you my dad kills a deer on opening morning. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you. By 7 a.m. How many times have you literally been? So this, this is my model. I have a couple options where I want to go, target areas. Sometimes I won't decide until I literally get in my truck and I'm driving. So it's either take a left or take a right. And what I do is I just follow my gut. Same thing when I'm yeah. actually in the woods and hunting. I'm like, all right, just trust your gut. Do I go farther? Do I stay back? Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go northeast, south, or west? I just, I am so in tune with my gut. I found that your gut doesn't lie. No. Well, obviously it could. You could get screwed in so many ways. But I just, every time you just trust your gut. Like you try to overanalyze it so much. But sometimes you just have that little gut feeling. You know, most times it's wrong, but. And, you know, it, it's crazy because, like, sometimes I get upset at myself, like, even mobile hunting. Like, I'll go into a property, and I, I one of my favorite things to do, because, I, I mean, I, I like to go into a piece of property, 
and you know, e scout it, and then I go in there and I start walking in there, and I'm like, all right, this looks halfway decent, and then you keep going, and then you're like, all right, this looks halfway decent. Oh, this looks all right. Maybe I should go a little bit further, and then you're like, oh fuck, the sign was all back there, and you're like, I think I just blew my spot. Like I think I'm I'm done. But like in all reality, you should walk back that 150 yards to the last sign and go up in the tree. But I'm thinking, no, I already walked past there, so the deer already know. Like, and then you just you get irritated, and you're like, fuck this. When 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have just sat on the ground at the first piece of deer shit that I found and just, and the <laughs> first trail and hunted it and probably would have shot a deer. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, a lot of it is like the information that is, has been fed to us. So, you know, uh, 90% of the freaking information that is fed down our throats is all about Midwest hunting. And right. us New England boys all know that there's is no comparison. We're hunting the same species of deer, yes. But they're completely different animals because the habitat is completely different. The age structures are completely different. The buck to doe ratio is different. The food, everything is different. So all we've been taught, every magazine is about food plots in the Midwest. Every magazine is about buying leases. Every magazine is about, you know, DIY public land. This It's just there's so much information about how to hunt out there. And now there's, you know, there's a couple of guys that are known for hunting New England that are finally coming about and are getting some information about it. But. It's just a whole world. And now it's like nobody wants to watch TV show of deer hunting unless a 200-inch deer gets killed. Right. So where are those 200-inch deer getting killed? They're not all getting killed in public land. Public land is flooded with hunters. They're on private leases, private farms. You know, and they're like talking about how to hunt deer. And to us, that's totally irrelevant. Right. You can talk long about how a big buck moves through ag fields and fingers and ditches and stuff out west. I worked in the Midwest. I lived out there working, killing deer. So I know all about it. I'm not just coming up with this, but it's it's nothing like New England. Right. Well, I'd love to see them in a mountain like, laurel patch. But <laughs> here's the other thing I think gets overlooked being in New England <clears throat> with smaller parcels of property. Yeah. Okay. I kind of touched on it earlier. You might have the food source, but you don't have the bedding. Yeah. You might have the bedding, but you don't have the food source. You might not have either. Right. You might have a neighbor with a food source and a neighbor with bedding, and you're just in the middle. Right. So it's like so you watch some of these youtube videos and they're 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 great like i said i watch them i consume them from the time i get home from work till the time i go to bed because i can't get enough knowledge but you have to pick them apart and apply them to where you hunt because you don't always have the ability to even scout that bedding or scout that food source you you only get certain pieces of the puzzle that you're able to hunt mm -hmm. and it doesn't make it easy by any means like you you really have to work extra hard to make what you have work and like deer deer right so when you're reading an article about deer in the midwest you take just like you say take pieces from it right take the valid information but yeah i don't know where we're going with that but <laughs> you have to you but you have to apply it to your piece of property and how you do it because hunting here in new england new england is a whole different beast i mean hunting the mountains hunting you know our thermals you know they're the the ridges, the swamps, the mountain laurels, the bedding. The, I mean, yeah. it, it's just it's totally different than anything that that is is kind of getting pushed down our throats. Where the information is just not out there, and it's it's literally just going out there and understanding it. And it, you know, the other thing is like if you're not a mobile hunter with an e bike, you're not going to kill a deer. Like that's that's the that's the instinctual things that are being pushed on us as outdoorsmen. Yep. You know? Yeah. 
if you don't have a, a 10,000 acre farm well, pristine or a lease, you're not going to kill a big deer is what it said. I, right. And it's like, there's a time and a place for every kind of situational hunting. When I'm on public land and there's a ton, or town land, there's a ton of walking trails. I'm walking like a walker. I've killed deer walking like a walker. I mean, a little tiny property, we all know we're going to tiptoe around. There's only so much you can do. When you're hunting mm. 50 acres, you could mess booger that up real quick. So right. When you're hunting five, you could really booger it up. So it's a whole different world when you go to a thousand acre public land piece compared to a five acre private land piece. It's, it's nuts. And I think, you know, it's all I, situational. <laughs> I, I feel really bad for newer hunters, to be honest with you. Because they're so confused. Our generation, like I said before, when I grew up, I didn't even check the wind. Right. You just, just got in a stand and you killed fucking deer. And then all of a sudden people started talking about playing the wind. So we're like, okay, maybe there's something behind this. Let me start paying attention to the wind. So then I paid attention to it and probably still sat in the same fucking tree. It just didn't matter. But at least I knew which way the wind was blowing. Right. And then you start noticing. Oh, yeah, when the wind does blow that way, I don't see shit. But when it blows this way, I see more deer. Maybe there's something behind this play in the wind thing. Yeah, because so that's where the deer live. <laughs> so you start doing that, right? And then all of a sudden, Mark Drury starts talking about thermals. And you start trying to figure out what the fuck that meant. And that took forever to even understand thermals. Well, now you kind of get a concept of thermals. But the point of it is we were able to piece it together little by little. And we would add the play in the oh. wind. We'd add thermals and then we'd add a little piece to this and then we'd add then barometric pressure came into play and then moon phases came into play and we just kind of pieced it together little by little by little by little if you were starting right now and you were trying to teach your buddy to play the wind and thermals and check the barometric pressure but don't do this on this day but on this no no, no th that's only in the early season but then in november you do it like completely different like dude there's there's almost too much information out there right now like, I just feel bad for somebody trying to learn it all in one shot. Yeah, that's right. And I tell people all the time, I swear, trail cameras sometimes make me a worse hunter because you're so focused on that camera. But think of it. So everybody thinks right away you need all the best gear. This Think about the gear we use when we're kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> but if you take that camera, it's only getting a view of what percentage of those woods, right? This tiny little angle. So that deer can walk behind mm -hmm. it sideways. All, so you take that camera and everybody thinks like that is the truth. So and it's like you go to trust that camera so much. Like it's telling the God's honest truth. Well, like they did that study where they hung a normal camera at eye level of the deer. They had a mature buck staring at the camera. So we've all gotten that picture. They also had a video camera up elevated above it on video capture. So you get that one picture, then the 30 second delay, the buck's gone on the camera. On the video camera, it showed him bound back you know however far started blowing non-stop kept bounding back blowing blowing yeah. blowing blowing standing there forever just blowing you don't get that on the picture camera so. i watched it happen last year from a tree stand i'll right. show you the, i got it all on video i'll show it to you it's later like how do you learn that stuff yeah. you just hunt well yeah. and you say you say the thing is when you see that that trail cam picture you say oh that deer just walked by my camera no he just realized that your camera was there and made a clicking right. noise and now that deer is in the next county Mm -hmm. But you would never know that without video camera and, or understanding or, what it is. Or or the next five times he walks that area, he just skirts the backside of the camera. Right. He, he, oh. He's not in the next county. He's still there. But you haven't gotten a picture of him in five days. So now you think he's gone. He's still doing the same thing. He's just walking around the backside of your camera. Okay. How about, how about this? Because how, you haven't gotten a picture of him. How about hunting public land? There's a pre-hung pre tree stand. You set up 
15, 20, 30 yards away from it. You watch that nanny doe, that old ass nanny, bitchy nanny doe, walk right by it. She stares right up at the tree stand every single time that she walks by that tree stand. Because she knows that yep. tree stand's there because she's winded somebody in that tree stand 15 times. And you're 25 yards away from it and you smoke that bitch oh, while she's looking up at the next one. <laughs> <laughs> New Jersey, I worked in Princeton, New Jersey, and those New Jersey deer, all they do is walk around and stare at the sky. So we would hunt, you know, we would be working, shooting in these properties, and there's always a tree stand there because they could still hunt there. And you, so you'd set up next to the ladder stand, but I'd go an additional 20 feet up at least. I'd be screaming 30, 40 feet up because those deer, you watch them from hundreds of yards away. You're watching them come in in the snow and boom, 300 yards away. They're staring at that ladder stand. They walk, boom, they snap up. They're eating on bait with their eyes looking up at that ladder stand. Are you they're, serious? They know it, dude. They know it. They just walk around and there could be multiple stands and they're checking everyone. And then you always have that nanny just walking around. Just, you know, she goes down to pretend to eat and then she goes, boom, snaps her head back up. That's that's funny yeah. that you say that because the first time I ever went to Ohio, I had a deer that literally I didn't even I did not even I didn't even move in the tree stand and I was mobile hunting. I went yeah. from like I had my hands like kind of like in my chest pocket and I literally took my hand out of my chest pocket and went to go grab my bow. I was probably 23 to 25 feet in the air. That deer's neck, I thought he got whiplash. He whipped around so fast and looked up in the tree. Literally. Baiting. A deer around here, you go hunt, we can hunt around your house and yep. you'll see the difference and you come hunt a baited zone. Dude, these deer are all looking up. I never saw that as a kid. We hunted in lock up. My dad would put him 10 feet off the ground, dude. Yeah. Do you know something else? And one thing, I and going back on oh. the bait aspect of it, there was, I went and hunted the bait zone. I go down and hunt uh, zones uh, down like the Greenwich area a lot with uh, a couple of friends like the last couple weeks of the season. Just go down there. We do deer drives on the islands and stuff and fish and whatever else. But I'll go down and spend a couple of days down there. And I went down there and not even knowing and I didn't even know this and I because I'm not a bait guy. But like I had a mature buck. You know, late season you might get a mature buck on that bait because they're on that feed, right? Like it's it's they've rutted now they're trying to pack on the feet so they come back to that bait site i don't i always say it's either the first week or the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. if you get cold temperatures and that's literally what it was like and i didn't know this but one of the things and i learned this after is that like you literally do not want to shoot the buck as it's on the bait pile you want to get it coming to the bait pile because if you shoot them on the bait pile they're so jumpy because they're so used to people being around that bait pile and all the scents and stuff so literally this buck comes in and gets to the bait pile and i go to draw back and i go to shoot and he literally he he literally jump string me because he was so nervous being in at that bait pile you want to know how you solve that? If you hunt with a single pin, you always have your, when you're hunting over bait and you're trying to kill a smart deer, you have that pin set for 30. Because just like you said, you go draw on him at 10, 20, he's going to bound back to 30 if you can get him to stop, right? So you have your pin ready. Or you just elev elevationally compensate for it at 20 if he doesn't. <laughs> but yes, they are so jumpy. It is ridiculous. That's crazy. They, they're in there and like they know they shouldn't be there. They know it's not right. And they come in. If you can get a buck to come all the way solid to bait around here, it, they're a freak that's why this, this might not apply to this but it just reminded me of it the other night you were saying something when you were working for white buffalo 
between shooting them with their head down and their head up. Yeah. What, what, what was that? Refresh my memory. It was a long night. Yeah, that was all just uh, shot placement. So when you're shooting deer in the head, so when your gun's zeroed for 100 and you're shooting them at 20 yards, you're aiming, you know, inch and a half, two inches over their head. So that that messes with you, right? Yeah. So you're basically your crosshairs when they're on bait, you're shooting as if those crosshairs are over its head. Like yeah, you're, you're not on them, fur. Right. So you always want that deer, like you'll whistle on bait, like I can show you in videos, I'll whistle, get them to bring their head up. So for if any reason anything goes wrong, all that deer can do is duck their head. If they duck, you miss. They can't go up anymore right, when you're fully okay. alert. When a deer's head is down on bait and you're aiming for the center of their brain, they have a lot of they can go up three feet, right? Right. So you have a lot of area where you can Blow mess it up. Off so you'd rather a bullet right. miss the deer than wound it, obviously. So no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't really rifle hunt over bait, right? I mean, like, can you rifle bait? Oh, yeah, why God, can't yeah. you? I mean, but I'm talking these suburban Pure environments. Pure 10 and 11 and 12. The first deer to bait were the slobs. The biggest deer of that neighborhood is the first one on bait. 180s, 190s, double drops, splits. And that was always the worst because he's the first one on bait. So now you got to break a sweat first thing in the evening because you got to drag his monkey ass off the bait. <laughs> I was thinking about it earlier and we kind of got away from it. Um, so you were saying when you're going into eradicate a population, you always well, shoot. Well, there's a difference between eradication was always like island. It's usually island eradication. Okay. I, was just eradication use, means, I was just trying to use a big word. Eradication means like you kill smart. every single last animal. So we would be a <laughs> population reduction. Okay. Steve's trying Popula to sound smart as shit. I was trying to sound smart. Not at all. Clearly it didn't work, and no. I was trying to bullshit people, Man. and it didn't work. So I'm back to dumbass mode. So anyways, when you're going into reduce population of deer, you were shooting the most mature does first. Does are always priority. Bucks were so say like if if you had a group of bucks come in and there were does watching or waiting to come in because yep. they would always hog bait. Sometimes you'd get off and just get down and run the bucks off, or you just wait. But you never you would never shoot buck. You never prioritize bucks over does. Those are always priority. So what in some neighborhoods it's funny. I've had some weird you know shooting off the second story balcony of this lady's house and she was the best. And in this area, Missouri. You know, we, uh, we only had a certain amount of bucks we were allocated to shoot. It was mainly does. But she comes up to me. She goes, hey, hey, honey, can you just do me a favor? I know you're not really supposed to do this, but can you kill every fucking buck, everyone with antlers? Because look at my shrubs. They were just rubbing the shit out of her trees, right? She had amazing landscaping, probably a million dollars landscaping. She wanted me to kill the bucks. So they were messing up her shrubs. Did she make you cook what? Oh, God, yeah. She brought me out heater, like this big heater to put over me, the big cone deck heaters, cookies, tea. So back to what I was getting at. So what if you were uh, a regular hunter uh, on a piece of private and you're looking to manage the herd to, to a healthy standards? A lot of those guys, the first ones they're going to shoot are those same does that you would take out first. So we talking hunting or, or hunting? Back to the hunters. Well, the problem is the first year they're going to shoot is, yeah, is going to be either the does, the young, dumb does, or it's going to be the lesser bucks. Like, I have so many private land pieces, one of my best ones that, you know, I hunt, I bait. And the kid next to me, a kid got permission on a piece of property that hasn't been hunted since I was a kid. So what does he do? Puts in a 500-pound corn feeder, a ladder stand, and he crossbow hunts out of it with a cell cam on it. So he killed my target buck in December when I was in Disney World with his head in the feeder. I'd shot that deer three years ago with my recurve, bounced off his shoulder. Mm. So I knew he would, I would he was not killable on bait. I hunted him all around. He got beat down, dumb, and just 
you fucked up and got shot on bait. What was it? What would you ask me? Well, uh, I just, <laughs> oh, the problem with that was, so then when someone starts a base, like the first year they're probably going to kill because they want to kill buck is going to be that two to three year old. So I had two beautiful two year olds that were just your be- gorgeous Connecticut, amazing, perfect eight point rack. He killed them both. Right. So there's the first year they get killed. No, my question was more of the lines where like people that, that are actually trying to manage their herd for, for better hunting, bigger bucks, better do, uh, buck to doe ratios and all that stuff. They, Trev, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, the screen just went crazy. Um, those people, te- you, I think they tend to think they should shoot the oldest does first to make a better herd. But those are the same does that you were shooting first when you were trying to control the population. But is that to put it this way? Way? around us the only way you'd ever be able to, to control a buck to ratio or to um you know establish a herd if you were gonna do that you'd all have to be on the same page right think about all the little private land properties just like i explained he, that the deer walk right off the property line all three of them yeah. killed so it's like you all have to be on the same page if you're going to be shooting the same age class and yeah you can around here yeah. So my theory is I only shoot what makes me excited, yeah. right? So a three-year-old that's a 100-inch eight-point doesn't get me all yeah excited. I don't shoot it. Speaking of that, Trev, you, you didn't respond because I think you're on the boat, but uh, the bat phone's going off. Um, I got that. I got a trail camera picture of that buck I passed last November. Yeah, I saw that. And that, it was kind of cool because, like, he was a good buck last year, and, like, there's some hunting pressure over there. So when I got that picture of him this year – it kind of made me smile like, yeah, buddy, you made it through the gauntlet. Like nobody else tagged your ass. Like I, I gave you the pass, but ain't nobody else giving you the pass. So <sighs> it's kind of cool getting that picture of him it's the other day. It's always nice. That's the best part about running cameras this time of year is to see what's hey, buddy, made it you made it. <laughs> Didn't get hit by cars. That's the other thing in urban hunting. Yeah. But Drew, I got one last question for you, man. We really appreciate you jumping on. But uh, what drives you outdoors, my man? Just in me, dude. I just say it's in my blood. Just something about it just makes me who I am. But, uh, yeah, right now it's just, you know, my motto is step above. I'm just – everything I do, I just want to be a step above, especially with my family, my boys. So my hunting has kind of taken a big step backwards, just my time in the woods um, compared to before kids. But it's all good because, you know, I got my three-year-old and five-year-old. The coolest part the other day, Steve mm. was here, my five-year-old – it's always, hey, boys, you want to shoot your bows? They got the little kids' bows. Yeah, sure. So they shoot them, and, you know, they're just bouncing them off the targets, whatever. This time, I walked away from my five-year-old. I gave him, I said, and he was shooting the target, and he kept shooting. I went back. I said, hey, buddy, you want a little lesson? He goes, yeah. So I, I gave him a couple of critiques, a couple of lessons on exactly just critiquing his form with a long bow. And I walked away, and that little dude stood by that target for 15, 20 more minutes, just arrow after arrow after arrow, and it finally clicked with him. And he started drilling the target where he wanted to put that arrow, you know, a pie plate group at five yards. It was amazing. So to me, that's, that's what keeps me sane is just knowing that I'm going to have a future of hunting with those boys and it's going to be cool. So raising them is, you know, that's what keeps me really outdoors now. That's awesome, man. There's nothing better than that, honestly. The kids, the next generation is why we do all this. That's what, you know, that's why we became who we are. What saved our lives from being schmucks or scumbags or whatever was the outdoors because we focused so much time on it. So to have those boys do the same thing, it's probably oh, really genuine. I, I know we've talked about this. I can't, if I didn't have hunting, I, the shit 
I don't know if I'd be alive. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the shit we would do because I was always I I didn't blo- I didn't I never tried coke because I couldn't afford it and I wanted to go hunting more. I didn't want to stay up all night drink. So <laughs> I didn't do coke, guys, because I won't hunt. <laughs> it's so true though. Like there's a lot of people and there's kids that are you know that were my age or whatever that were into trouble or whatever the case may be. And it was I was too busy going fishing. Too busy going yeah. hunting, too busy worrying about, you know, whatever, going trapping or whatever the case may be because that's what we wanted to do. And, it, and I think it honestly saved my life because I could have been somewhere I probably shouldn't have been. And it's, I wanted to talk about it earlier, too, was what you had brought it up. You Someone, one of you brought up deer drives. Remember how fun deer yeah. drives were and they still are, but nobody talks about them. Like, it's like this crowd thing. Yeah. Dude, we had so much fun driving deer whole lives with bows, guns, uh, muzzleloaders. So, so it's funny is we... We do a deer camp or, you know, we did do a deer camp prior to COVID. And one of the things that we had talked about doing this year is our deer camp for two, three days. And all the boys get together and we do public land deer drives with the muzzleloader late season. Like, it would just be cool to go and do it and have everybody go and just have fun. I mean. Because bow hunting is so self. Like, when when you get so into it, it's so selfish, right? It is. We're alone in the woods. So when you get together and do drives, it's like going duck hunting. You just have a fucking blast. You need you need that reset and that camaraderie. And I like I talk about it all the time. Like you know, I'll have guys on the boat, and they'll say, they'll say, you know, like why why do you hunt or whatever. And they're not not a lot of them are hunters. A lot of them are fishermen. And I'll be like, you know what? It's the camaraderie. Like November, at the end of October, November. Those are that's my two months or a month and a half to spend by myself in the tree. But there's still camaraderie of bouncing back and forth for the guys, but deer drives, duck hunting, trapping, like that's the camaraderie. That's why I do it. The turkey hunting, the fishing, like that's, that's what I do it for. It's not for, you know, the selfishness of the month and a half that you're doing that, you know, but the camaraderie of it. Yeah. I, I got to add to this cause you guys just made, made me think of it, the tie everything together that we talked about today. And hopefully my dad doesn't get in trouble for this. Um, hopefully it's statute limitations has exceeded, but I wasn't even old enough to hunt by myself. And my dad would throw an orange vest on me and go, yeah. follow that wall up there. And when you get to the break, take a left and come back down the hill and I'll be waiting for you right here. Right. Yeah. He, he was sending me off the bird dog and push deer off that hill to him. <laughs> I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was pretty good at it because he shot a lot of deer doing that, you know, but I didn't know it at the time. I was scouting bedding. I was going up and I was bird dogging through all the thickets and down like whatever trail I could find on my hands and knees to get through that thicket to push those deer back down the hill. So fast forward a couple of years and I was, I was old enough to have my own rifle and and have my own tree stand. And, you know, my dad trusted me enough where he asked me where I, where, where do you want to hunt? Like, where do you want to put your tree stand? Well, I want to go hunt up on that hill because every time I go up there, I push deer off that hill. Right. And okay, let's, all right, show me where. So I, I picked the tree right here. It looks good. So we hung a ladder stand and opening day, I shot my first buck and I shot a buck off that tree every opening day for like five years. And it was just, it was just a magical spot. But now looking back on it with the knowledge I have now, dude, I was hunting the down. There was deer up on that hill for some reason because it was thick and I always pushed deer off the hill. So I just threw together. I didn't, there was no pieces to put together. I just knew there was deer up there. And you're hunting the downside, downside, downwind side of the bedding. 
Yeah, so I, always, I didn't know it at the time because I didn't even know which way the wind blew. Mm-hmm. But now I can overanalyze that spot and know why it was so successful when I didn't even know why I was having success. It's like great. to me growing up, I've been mobile hunting since I was 12 years old because yeah. you know what mobile hunting was to me? It was getting so bored in that tree stand, knowing it's in the stupidest spot. And, be, and no, I'm, I'm not tearing this thing down with screwing picks. I would get down and I would still hunt. Yeah. And I mobile, I was mobile all over. I killed more deer on the ground than I ever did in trees. And you learn to take your take your boots off, walk in your socks, stalk deer. You'll learn more about deer and deer hunting and the whole ecosystem they live in by just still hunting. And a lot of people don't do it. And that's a north that's a no- northeast thing. Still hunting, yeah. tracking. I mean, that's that's something that we do here that a lot of people don't do in other places. Right. Because like everything you read tells you stay out of the bedding, stay out of this, no pressure, no pr- don't do this, you know, don't mess up. Well those deer don't have anywhere oh. else to go, so you might as well go in there and hunt them. True. Hey, doesn't get any better than that. No, that's right. It doesn't. Well, boys, I really appreciate Drew. It's been a long time, and we haven't had you on, but I don't think that it's going to be a long time for the next one. Honestly, I think that we should do some more of these. Uh, I know you got a lot more to talk about. You know, between coyote trapping and these little tiny things that you know. I think we should do a little bit more podcasting about. You weren't so busy fishing all the time. You could come up and hang out with us up at camp because yeah, we're having well, like camps here all the time, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got I got someone's got to work around here. Yeah. <laughs> you. I only work six months out of the year, dude. I can't. It's so I tough. think you're being a little overzealous there. Yeah. Six <laughs> well, I don't know. What's what's June 1st to November? What's that? You know, June, July, August, September, October, November. Yeah, it's six months. Oh, buddy. he's including November. He's yeah. not working November. Uh, so it's five. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whatever, boys. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just jealous, but come up and hang out sometime. Yeah. We're having a blast. Well, boys, I appreciate everything. You know, Drew, thanks for joining us, man. And uh, Steve, I'm, I don't really care whatever you're yeah you'll still be here um but <laughs> um, he basically moved He's my weekend roommate lately yeah is that what it is that's perfect yeah we're uh, april got her appendix out so she's down at her mother's which is 100 yards from the shop not even so we're all staying up here in the camper i got the boys up here cousins just boys week man boys boys week in the camper that's awesome well I appreciate you guys, man. Drew, can't wait to have you on again. And uh, I know you boys are going out fishing, so good luck. And for everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.